0: everyone and welcome to the Learn and Lead podcast.
1: The Learn and Lead podcast is for educators by educators and we want to bring the world of Arizona public education to you and our thousands of members across the state. Our objective is to provide a platform for the voices of our educator leaders along with some amazing community allies and have conversations about those education topics that are on everyone's mind. Hello, everyone. This is Amber Gould, your AEA treasurer. And I'm Carrie Wolf, your AEA Learn and Lead Specialist. And we have an amazing individual here with us today. Um, we have the AEA president, President Marisol Garcia. Woo-hoo! Woo! We're all very excited for that. Yes, (laughs) and this is
0: the perfect way to kick off season two. This is how we kicked off season one, and so it's
1: just good luck. Yeah, coming back from summer break, here we are. Summer break, because like everyone out there, wasn't working the entire time, (laughs) let's be honest. (laughs) Uh, But there is a lot of exciting stuff coming up, a lot of exciting things happening um, around organizing in our locals, a lot of political excitement going on, uh, which actually leads me to our first thing, which is our joke.
0: Okay. Are you, are you I, ready
1: for for the I'm,
0: joke? I'm gonna hope I'm ready. Okay. It is
1: a political joke. Uh-oh. All right, all right, here we go. Well, it's not really political, gonna be <laughs> honest. Okay. Where do polar bears vote? Oh my gosh. Mm. I don't know. come on. I feel like you you gave it some. Is there spot. some kind of joke around poll? It maybe? is. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The North Pole. Oh, there, oh there I yeah, see, okay, okay. So, I mean, it took me like twenty minutes to find a um a nice Political voting <laughs> joke because most of them were a little little angry out there yeah. for being. Gee, honest. I wonder but- why. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um- very exciting stuff going on with the Arizona Education Association, and we are very excited to have you back on the podcast and uh, love to hear um, how are you feeling going into year two of your presidency? Yeah,
2: it's it feels like it's been a year, but 10, really. <laughs> um, I kind of joked with the UFCW president who's been president, I think, do you say 30 years? Like, oh, I can't even imagine. Um, it's been just such an exciting time for our union and, and for our members to be able to see what could be next when it comes to really being thoughtful about meeting the the times that we're in. Um, and so to be able to see a, a bunch of new programs come back, um, a bunch of new programs be put in, new staff come aboard to really, um, change gears and really be thoughtful about organizing, not just mobilizing, but organizing um, is something I think a lot of members and potential members have been wanting to see from this union. And so it's it's been an awesome year.
1: Well, I know that, you know, a lot of our local leaders have gone through like our skills to win training and um, really looking at that difference between mobilizing mm-hmm. and organizing that you just spoke of. Can you kind of explain what that yeah. difference is?
2: Yeah, I think that we all participated in a massive mobilizing event, at least every educator Uh, in 2018, where we showed up and, you know, we, we showed up and showed force. But I think organizing is a little bit different. Organizing is more organic and is site-based organizing, meaning that you're talking to your neighbor, you're talking to your grade level team or your content team about issues that are really confronting you, um, pulling in community partners, pulling in other people, and then moving towards making change for that. It may be a small thing. Um, But when you organize, it isn't one and done. It really does speak to what all of us wanted, which is a, a movement, not a moment. Um, and I'm going to say like that actual, um, uh, down at the Capitol that those few weeks were really instrumental, but, um, you know, it, and we all have these great muscles that we developed, right? I kid around about calling it Ed Cella down there because you saw, (laughs) you know, you saw the organic kind of creativity and courage that was coming out of there. What, um, I really want to do is elicit those muscles and put them back into use, but using it on a site level where you can make substantive working um, environmental changes or working condition changes that impact your students and impact the workers Um, and really allow educators to no longer be silent and quiet which is again something we saw happen in 2018 but make those changes not just um uh, waiting for somebody else to make that change, but us making it. And it's so cool to see what we kind of dub as hot labor summer with uh, SAG-AFTRA <laughs> and um, what's happening with the writers because there we need to have a conversation um, about the impact that um, people are making a lot of money and then the majority of people workers not being able to advocate for themselves. And the only place
1: that really is made to do that is their unions. You know, I love the <laughs> metaphor about like, having to reactivate those muscles. Mm-hmm. It's like when I go hiking and I'm like, <laughs> I am using muscles that I didn't yeah. even realize that I had. And <laughs> I mean I'm still processing
0: Ed Cella. Like yeah. that's just like oh, genius. Yeah, that. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah it was Ed Cella down there. Yeah. But what I love is that like so many of our locals, they're like, they're kind of realizing that they yeah. do have those muscles and they like, can use them. And mm-hmm. um And so we're starting to see a lot more of that work. And so, and especially through this first year of your presidency, Mm -hmm. like we're, we're seeing people recognize their own strength and power.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of new vocabulary words again, similarly to what happened in 2018, people started learning about like what an ESP is, what a classified is right now. Some of the new vocabulary that we're trying to help people get to is what is majority status? What is supermajority status? What does that look like? And, um, a lot of us have worked at sites where you have a really great site and a really great team and maybe not the best administration, um, but that the team and that site could come up with solutions to problems. And so I always use this this example that, you know, my first year teaching in a brand new K-8 building is that they used to let the 6th, 7th, 8th graders all enter at the same time. And, you know, the administrator, like, it just makes sense. We have to do the timing and the bells. And we were like, you don't understand what it's like having, you know, 300 twelve to fourteen year olds in the hallway for about five to ten minutes. So There's touching, pushing, shoving, fights, words, you know, and then the of course the seventh grade girl's like, I'm gonna miss you And it's like you're gonna see each other in 45 minutes but it's difficult to start instruction in under those circumstances so we were like how about we have them you know one grade level enter a different door and another one enter a different door we will take the responsibility from walking them to that door and almost immediately by offering that the administration was like hey you guys came up with a solution great we put it into play and almost immediately people are less exhausted at the end of the day. You know, the workers were kind of like, we can get home. The cafeteria workers were excited because they were not cleaning up, you know, a trash heap that of kids leaving all the same door that, you know, there's more adults kind of part of this system. So, you know, when you have a majority status at your site or supermajority at this site, the reality is you are way more powerful than the one administrator or two administrators and they are forced to deal with you by the actual practitioners, <laughs> the ones who are actually doing, it's shocking, The people <laughs> actually doing the work. Um, and so... So those type of vocabulary words of majority and supermajority status are something that is very common in other labor unions and common across the country that we're trying to bring through these trainings, through readings with Jane McLeavy, through working with folks like CTU and UTLA and um, North Carolina. How do we do this in a state where we don't have the same labor laws that you would expect us to have yet still make the changes necessary?
1: Can you actually go in and kind of define a little more what uh, majority and then have what a supermajority actually means? like what yeah. is the actual definition for yeah that?
2: majority status is clear you want 51 percent so that means that you actually are speaking for more than half the employees at the site and depending on what district you're at that may be just the certified teachers or the certified employees so counselors social workers etc or it may be like my district where we represent both classified and certified so you know a majority status at my site would mean I'd have 51 percent of not just the you know the the classroom educators but also the at the folks in the front office care workers, janitorial staff, if we had security teams, everyone. Um, and so when I would go to speak to a principal, I'd say I'm representing more than 51%. When you get to supermajority status, you're talking about 70 75%. And we have some that are like 90 almost 95% across the state. Um, and they really have a seat at the table when it comes to hiring, when it comes to uh, budget allocations, when it comes to programs, when it comes to after-school programs. And, and so to have that, you really are more – able to control and be in control of your destiny of what your your day-to-day basis looks like. The other thing to think about is that, you know, numbers can be on paper different than what we are striving for, which is high participation union. So that's another kind of HPU, like a high participation union. Um, other states have like super majorities all over the place, mm-hmm. but they may not have a high propensity, propensity un- uh, participation union, meaning that people don't show up for meetings. Um, they're, they're not an active place holder. You know, they're not at a seat having this conversation. They just maybe vote every once in a while. Like we want people to dig into what we're doing and have space. Um, and the most, you know, the, the easiest way to do that is to go to the person who is the most vocal at your site. And more importantly, the one who has not joined yet. <laughs> That's the person I want to talk to because they have ideas and thoughts, Um, and so I want them on my team and maybe they don't join immediately, right? Maybe it takes me years, but at least they're seeing what their union can do for them once they join.
1: Well, and just having those conversations with those people Mm -hmm. are huge too, because like eventually it's going to click, like, listen, the union's doing all this work. Mm-hmm. You might as well join in because yeah. our, the values are there. We want you to be part of this. And if they want a voice, eventually what's going to happen is their voice is going to get drowned out because the union's going to be so powerful. Like, And you want them to be part of that, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think we, we can all say that every single person in the state of Arizona is a member of the AEA. It's just some of them are paying dues. And I like that because you start to think about like, you wouldn't allow that to happen in a group project in your class. Right. right? You wouldn't allow that to like Randy, our executive product, uh, uh, director says things like, you wouldn't want that for like when you show up to a potluck. Not cool. Right. right. <laughs> um, and so, you know, there's some social expectations that I'm going to fight for you and you're going to get the raise or you're going to get these like $10,000 at Creighton they got for a signing bonus. Right. $10,000. $10,000. Okay, And that came because Creighton worked really well with the district administration, but also saying it's not just me and 10 of my friends. It's not like our grade level. It's the entire district with representation joining a union in unison asking for that. So there's nothing that we cannot course correct at a site and district level um, that can't be done with working, uh, collaboratively and collectively. And that my favorite word that I learned was teacher efficacy, right? That you determine that like that red for red was a perfect example of teacher efficacy. Perfect example of we saw a problem, we find a solution and we're going to work together to get it done. So you just mentioned, um,
0: $10,000 for creating, which is just, huge on its own what are some of the
2: accomplishments from this past year that you're most proud of yeah i mean i think those one time those one time signing bonuses are necessary and you know i one time versus you know to the (laughs) to the base is always a fight we have to deal with at a state Mm -hmm. level but under the circumstances um for so long we you, you can't just hold your breath and hope so i'll take the one time Um, I think some of the other things that we're seeing across the state was, um, you know, we, we just recently, uh, Paradise Valley shared that one of the things they bargained for that's just, just awesome. And everyone should have is once you see a student, you cannot be transferred, right? Which we see class collapsing of classes and moving Mm. of, right. And it's traumatic, especially for kindergartners or third grade teachers, even like I've always taught third grade and now there's not enough third graders left to move, but that shows the value of your professional knowledge and your professional commitment, um, Is it something to strive for? Yes. But who's going to be against it? The people who are going to be against it are going to be people who are sitting in a district office who probably haven't had to move their district office for a while, right? They're pretty comfortable. So this is a good discussion. Um, I think that we saw some privatization efforts scaled back when there were contracts that were going to go out to cafeteria vendors, janitorial services. You know, fighting back on those privatization um, is important, not just for our members, but for community-wide and what it does for working-class families across the state um and then finally having conversations about healthcare the fact that i talked to more reporters about you know like opening their eyes that we have generations of women in a predominantly women um uh profession which i think now is like at 85% female or a birth, that can give birth and then even fathers that have children that don't have healthcare coverage for their child like my son, when he was when he was a six month old, and I signed my first contract, I couldn't afford healthcare for him after six months because it was two hundred and thirty five dollars a paycheck. Wow! And so my paychecks going home were less than seven hundred dollars, um, and like that's terrifying. That there's children of highly trained, highly educated professionals that their children don't have the ability to have access because they don't fall within that ga- that gap. But they don't have the ability to pay for their own child, and that is alarming. And for the first time, reporters wanted to talk about that. Legislators wanted to talk about that. They wanted to have this conversation. Do I think that there's a solution, you know, uh, immediately on the table? No. But I think the more power we gain and the more voices we share, you know, that's a that's a five year goal. Like, let's get everyone on the same page and fight for something that's worth human dignity of having just health care for your family.
1: You know in um, growing up my mom uh, my mom had to make that kind of decision and she ended up not getting health care for herself mm. uh, so that she can afford to pay for um, mine and my younger brother's health care like those are decisions that this is America are like, like that insane. is crazy I
2: know it's just it's just it's shocking and you know my mom never complained about it I'm sure your mom never complained you didn't know probably as oh a kid. I had no idea yeah you didn't know all these sacrifices and it's something that we have to really force folks to open you know, our stories are sacred and um, they're sacred as a tool to help change the next generation's um, access. And by us not withholding it, it actually could be detrimental. So, you know, I, I even as a daughter of, a, as a, of an educator, I used to be like, mom, how come you didn't tell me like the like gnarliness of lesson planning at 11 o'clock at night after, <laughs> after putting away a baby? Like, how come you never shared that? She's like, well, you know, it was my decision, but it shouldn't be mine and it shouldn't be my son's, right? So how do we break those generational curses that have been laid upon us, but because we chose not to share the stories?
0: Well, and one of the stories I think I've shared prior to this is I was having a conversation with a member who told me that she had to have surgery on her hand and she couldn't afford to have full anesthesia. So she only had like local anesthetic and she had surgery on her hand and she said she could feel like the tugging and the oh, pulling. No, no, no. And, it's disgusting. Like she, she was talking about like the psychological trauma of that experience, all because she couldn't afford to like to really to take care of mm-hmm. the, the problem in a way that was safe and mm-hmm. healthy.
2: Yeah. I mean my my master teacher when, when I first started teaching my first year in San Francisco, and granted, you know, like I had just had a child. <laughs> Uh, and he was six weeks old when I took over his contract because he was taking paternity leave to be home with his family. And I thought like, look at, think of the irony, like as a student teacher, my six week old is staying, doesn't, you know, is, is staying down, you know, the street with my, with my, uh, his grandmother, because I had to go back to work um, because I hadn't been in, in their system. But in in other states, everyone is part gets paternity leave and maternity leave. Everyone does. And how and I ch- every child is covered. Every child is covered. And so, you know, it is not that completely foreign where people are like, oh, well, they have that in Sweden. No, they have that in California. <laughs> like this is we're not talking about another planet. Um, it's just we have to have the hard discussions and we have to share our stories. And just like my mother didn't share, and your mother and, and this educator didn't share, like these are stories that are It's not shameful. You should be able to share these stories because how else are we going to make policy changes?
0: Well, and the other piece of the healthcare conversation is mental health care access. I mean, if we're asking educators to be fully present with students, then they need access to mental health. Um, mm-hmm. I was talking to an educator who is an art teacher. She had her, unfortunately, she suffered a great loss to her family. Her mom died in the middle of a school year and she was trying to get access to her mental health benefits through the AAP, right? Mm-hmm. And get her seven free sessions. Mm-hmm. And the first opportunity that she would have to talk to someone was like a month or two later, and she's like, "But I literally am grieving now." Like, and so even mental health access, like these stories are so real, and like there's a visceral reaction when non-educators hear Mm -hmm. the things that educators have tolerated for way too long.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm brought back to Super Bowl Sunday when I had a school board member, a very brand new elected school board member, say hey, I have a friend who just got their contract. Super Bowl Sunday, right? We're in, we're in February. Yeah. <laughs> who just got their contract. It doesn't say how much she's making. It doesn't say where she's teaching. And I'm like, welcome to Arizona <laughs> educator contracts. She's like, like what do you- Where else would this yeah. be acceptable? Yeah. And she's like, what? This is a school board member. Um, and I said, yeah, this is what we deal with. So here's the thing is, do I think that that's a policy we can change? Yes can I try to, can I do that alone? No. I'm going to need a ton of people to be able to share their stories, A, and B, make it a, make it an issue, make it important things. And and that is a non-political thing. That is not something that should be shrouded in party politics, but more in human dignity issues. And quite frankly, it's an issue economically. Is, this is an economic issue that people are, are signing contracts in the early, you know, in the early part of the, the actual year in, in the the next not on school year but that doesn't make any sense no other no other professional are we asking to sign something of you don't know where you're gonna work you don't know who your boss is you know how much you're gonna get paid sign here and if you decide to leave early to make a decision for your family you will have to pay us um or even get your certification okay, or, or, or yeah can... or threat of getting your yeah. certification ticket so like these are these are just and again it's because it's been shrouded in you know embarrassment shame and quite sometimes it's shrouded in veteran educators just saying shh this is how it is and I, I i that's not that we cannot proceed like that anymore we have to proceed in demanding that we are treated with the respect that we deserve
0: it reminds me of last year season 1 episode 1 <laughs> when you said to ground ourselves in the fact that unions fight for respect wages yeah. and working conditions and mm-hmm. a year later it still holds justice true yeah. and i mean You were literally just
2: talking about human dignity, Mm -hmm. like such a, that that should be an easy thing to bargain for, right? Yeah, well, well, the interesting part is that you, y'all, I mean, to be honest with you, making that hard turn to say labor, say union, align ourselves more with the union and the labor community than we ever had before, uh, was a lot easier said than done, (laughs) was a lot of pushback from, you know, rank and file members and veteran members who were like, no, we're an association and, and I get it. Um, but little by little, there are these signs of, um, you know, you're right, right? We, 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 we've taken ourselves out of those discussions because, you know, for far too long. And so, you know, today I was at Creighton and, um, and they had new shirts made that said union strong, which would never have existed in Creighton years before. Um, I got a text message from DA where somebody said is, I know that you've been, you know, you keep saying union. I'd never really thought it until now as a current, we are a union. Like we are, A union. And I think that that, as as people who were raised in the United States, we all know what unions brought us. Um, And it's not a partisan issue. This is a workers' rights issue. And now more than ever you know, we are entering into a, a severe gilded age. Um, and those of you who aren't history teachers or had horrible history teachers, you can Google that. <laughs> uh, or as I said to my sister, remember Annie? Uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, where there's extreme wealth and there's extreme poverty, um, uh, politics that is really focused in on one issue. And the workers, the people who are making this country move and learn and lead, they're being left behind. And the um, historically, the only place that has really saved us has been unions. And so we get to lean into that. And gratefully, this is not the first time, nor will it be the last time that workers will have to come together to, to push back on some of these um, unsafe working conditions, um, un, un, untenable, like expectations. And Honestly, the exploitation of our labor and to be able to speak like that, um, I I think it will it will just take a lot longer
1: amount of time and and we'll get there. So I know there has been a lot of pushback from uh, from, you know, the Arizona Education Association, from our local unions at the district level. What have been some of the bigger wins that we've seen this year?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think some wins are. Wow. I mean, I think some of the biggest wins is that we're seeing locals actually gain so much membership. And the 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 kind of thinking back to wow, we never thought that this could happen, right? We never really we assumed that we were in good places, right? There have been some rocky uh, relationships uh, that have happened because people finally stood up for themselves. I think the the broader win is that you know from May to July we were the third f- uh, fastest largest uh, union growth after Florida and Kentucky both of which are under massive attacks, under massive u- union attacks. Um, another massive win is we you know we, got, we we really played a huge role in getting Katie Hobbs elected. Like Governor Hobbs um, would not have been elected unless educators and our supporters didn't say this person is going to lead us down the right direction. And the 100-plus vetoes that she uh, participated in. And those 100-plus vetoes saved us. But, you know, the same thing I said in May to our delegates, like, she's not going to save us. That's not going to happen. She's not, you know, as great as she is, she does not have a red cape. Um, But we do. Right? We do. And so I know that when I had a great eighth grade team and we were all working together and the kids were growing and they're behaving and it was amazing, it was because we made the decision to work together for ourselves. Um, and so those are some of the wins where you see, you know, like Tempe Union, who got shirts made that say majority status, like on our way to super majority, right? Um, folks going to our Skills to Win training with Jane McLevy, where we had like over 150 folks, and then the other unions saying, locals saying, we want to be part of those um, this year, returning, like, I want to go back again people reaching out and wanting to learn more about labor history because it's not taught in schools in depth as, as much as it should be um, and people who are wanting to you know take access to the new pro- professional development I had somebody come up to me today like hey in Creighton I'm so glad I joined I went to some of these professional developments it was so awesome like nowhere else am I going to learn how to support Navajo children where am I going to learn that right I teach in, a, in Central Phoenix and I was like That was a decision we made. That's a win. That's a massive win that they now see themselves as the purveyor of um, professional knowledge and being, and we pay them to do that. We've never done that substantially. Um, But with every like massive change, there's, you know, pushback. We saw it. Red for red. We had purple for parents. So um, (laughs) people are going to start to be alarmed when they start to realize this union's growing in power and in numbers, because that means that they may lose power. Um, so we are expecting massive pushbacks and, um, luckily we've got each other and we're all focused on the right values. So I think we'll be okay
0: how do we inoculate against this inevitable pushback, right? Because I, I mean, I didn't have you as my social studies teacher, Mm -hmm. but um, so I'm sure I don't have all the information about this, but I know that there was, you know there's always waves in history. Mm -hmm. And last time we had the gilded age and unions pushed back there was a lot of anti-union propaganda that followed. Mm -hmm. So we know it's coming, right? Like, because as we gain power, Mm -hmm. as you said, right? The people will be feel threatened. How do we, inoculate ourselves or like, how do we defend against this upcoming propaganda?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we have to, again, go back to sharing our stories and personalizing who union workers are because I, you know, it it, it already is happening. I think I saw a really crazy interview with one of the leaders of Moms for Liberty when they asked like, who, who, you know, who is behind? These um, you know, what do you think is happening in schools right now? Like, do you think that teachers are trying to indoctrinate your kids or trying to and they're there, she's like, Yes, well who's doing it? And she like off off of her lips came the teachers' unions and President Biden are trying to sexualize our students. And I just was like In what world? Yeah, like Ugh. this time, A. <laughs> but, but B, like it is an easy group to be nameless and faithless faceless, right? To, to blame somebody for what's happening to you instead of opening um, opening up channels of communication. So for us, I think it's important that, like, I try to lift up, like, if you're going to talk poorly about unions, then you're talking about the third grade teacher that stayed after school because you were late to picking up your daughter. You're talking about the baseball coach that is going, staying after to make sure your son has, like, the best pitching arm. You know, you're talking about security guards who are walking kids across the uh, street to get them into a school when it's 110 degree heat. Those are union workers. those are people who have union values and so do you so you have to personalize these people um and it's not going to come easy because that that is not part of their mode and that's exactly what happened right we were uh scapegoated in the 50s um unions were as being like these bastions of communism and you know my grandfather was even convinced to leave his union at one point because it was anti-catholic to be part of a union but as when he got older and, and deconstructed that he realized like that makes no sense like Working together is what like his religion was, and it didn't make sense. But it's well funded because people are making a lot of money off of our kids. They're making a ton of money off our kids, and money is what's driving almost all these conversations. The long road to privatization um, begins with making money off of you know
1: my son and everyone's kids. Wow! So looking at everything that you know that's coming down the line. When we look at some of these other big fights, what do you see this next year? What's going to be – what are some of the major issues that we're going to be facing?
2: Yeah, vouchers. I mean it's we know yesterday the governor's office kind of got somebody leaked a memo that said that that way we we're going to be up to about a billion dollars that we're going to be losing and and I, I think it's important that educators not just ground themselves in how this is going to impact public schools but how this is going to impact mental health services, housing issues, homelessness issues, access care, any sort of common good um, that the state helps provides are going to be completely taken away. Yeah money has to come from somewhere. Yeah yeah. and so not we're not the only ones. Schools are going to be making the cuts. Uh, infrastructure is going to be making a cut any sort of changes that need to happen to your community so the common you know these common good issues that we all surround ourselves with are going to be cut so vouchers and the budget will be a major issue I think as uh, educators in 2023 we need to start being real about like the impact that Um, The neglect of our environment has been my son and a lot of his friends are really concerned about like, will there be water in 10 years? Will we have electricity or like, what are some sustainability concerns impact students? Um, You know, this morning I spoke, I spoke to a CNN reporter about like the extreme heat and schools. Like what are the impact of extreme heat on our kids? And last year, nobody was asking me that never had I been asked that. So we really gonna have to contend with how do we keep our Family safe, our community safe, our kids safe if we go into a drought, if we don't have, uh, if the air conditioning continues to break. Um, something that happens in California is they have brownouts, right? Um, both of you who are not from California are like, what does that mean? <laughs> um, it just means like you it's a rolling blackout. So everyone has to deal with it for an hour or so, um, which seems feasible in most parts of California. But in Arizona, that would not be sustainable, right? That just you wouldn't. You would have families that had no way of keeping themselves safe. People could die of heat exhaustion. And and, and so like those are issues that we're going to have to confront. Um, and then I think, the, I think one of the last things we're going to have to confront is we have to take this opportunity. Need to hold elected officials accountable for their lack of um, not just investment in schools but disrespect of schools and school educators they need to be held accountable like we need to be able to remind people they said this about you because every single one of them are up for election and starting in January they will be um, uh, very vocally running for office.
1: Well, and so many of them will, like, in one part, they'll say, like, these nasty things about public education, mm-hmm. and then they're like, oh, but we support teachers, yeah. and they'll post the picture. Like, yeah. no. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I mean, Tom Warren some, tells me that Tom Warren <laughs> called me to say,
2: I love teachers, and I love history teachers. They're my favorite people. And then two days later says these horrific things in the media. So they're politicians. So inoculation piece, these are politicians. They're politicians running for office who are trying to get fundrais- their fundraising. So they need money from people who have a vested interest in destroying public schools. So that's why they're saying it. So, you know, I think one biggest piece of inoculation is, is like they're using us as a political football. Right. So you, we got to get in the game and you have to be preemptively ready to, to work with um, with people around you, your colleagues in your community to fight back on some of this.
0: Well, and it's funny we were talking about this because it's not the jerk politicians that like really bother me. It's the ones that pretend to be friendly publicly. They use us as a key to get elected, like that they're mm-hmm. all about us, they support <laughs> us. And then when it comes down to the real fight, like where's where's the the back mm-hmm. that we were promised? And so, you know, even like holding these um allies accountable for, hey, you said you were gonna do this, so can you show up for us? Mm-hmm. Like we need you right now. We don't have any time to wait. And so um, it makes a lot of sense that like this next year, we're going to have to really make sure we're talking to every single legislator, mm-hmm. um, from both parties to make sure that we are all on the same page about what's best for our
2: students. Elections matter. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I know. I, I think that those are the harder conversations for me to have, or for people that we maybe as a union endorsed and, you know, it sounded great, but then it's like, do you even know what like working family issues are if not let me explain do you even know what AEA is who AEA is because you have you maybe haven't sat down but so those are the harder conversations to your point than people who are like completely vindictive and like you know like Warren Peterson like hey (laughs) if you like to discriminate please use vouchers and it's like wait at least he's saying it right (laughs) Uh, where you have some of our friends in air quotes who maybe are hurting schools um, because they have not taken the time again to speak to the people who are doing the job. And that goes back to why labor unions need to be so much involved in decisions that impact their work.
1: So knowing that, what is what is like one thing you wish all educators knew about the union going forward into this year?
2: I need them to join, um, and mainly because my voice is a lot stronger when I am speaking to the media or to the governor or to you know any elected official when I can say I've got 18 districts at majority status. We've got you know 300 schools at majority status. Like I'm not just making this stuff up. Two that. Um, the, the thing I want them to understand is like unions are not made up of somebody sitting in a room making these decisions, nor are they made by people who are not actual educators. We are democratically elected. We are based in diversity, equity, and more importantly, in justice. And so if there's an issue in your local union at the state level or even the national level, I, I there is not a place in time where I'm not going to sit down and talk to a potential or current member about a concern that they have. Um, and, or if they have a solution, I mean, we'll take that. We are member driven, which is so awesome. Um, so my advice is if you don't necessarily know what's going on in your local union, show up, call. If you want to be involved, we'll get you involved. If you have criticisms, let's hear them out. But more importantly, if you have solutions, I want to take them.
0: Which sounds like the perfect segue <laughs> into our very first homework of the season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, goodness. Yes. Well, you know what? And all of that is absolutely perfect. Like homework. If you're not a member, join. And remember, if you are currently in college, uh, you can join as as an aspiring educator. Um, If you are retired, join our AEA Retired. Um, If you're a parent, a community member, or ally, and you're interested in contributing to the cause of public education, you can join as an associate member. We Uh, even have a sub-membership. Yes, Mm -hmm. we absolutely have um, membership for substitute teachers. So absolutely look into that. the other piece is if you already are a member, I want you to take a look at your building this year, take a look at your 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 you know your grade team and figure out, okay, which one of these people are not currently a member and go have a conversation with them um, and ask them to join. Give a hard ask. Be like, listen, I've been working with you for X amount of years. You know the work that the union has been doing and you know that your voice should be part of this. I need you to join, give them a membership form and have that conversation because you know, you respect them as a professional, they should respect you as a professional, and part of that is being a union member.
2: Mm -hmm. My other piece of homework is if you, which you people listening to a podcast clearly are, um, uh, aware and, and, and on social media is, you know, really start following the the strikes that are happening with SAG-AFTRA and the Writers guilds, and really open your eyes to what unity looks like and solidarity looks like across across the spectrum of people who you would assume, you know, are making good money, that have health care benefits, that actually they too have hidden that from us, right? Mm-hmm. And, sec- and, and the fact that they are more than likely going to be able to win this is because they are telling their stories. They are being very vocal. They are standing next to each other. They are not crossing picket lines they are unquestionably showing you what solidarity looks like Um, even though the the teamsters have hopefully avoided a strike who knows it's going out for vote Um, that strike should be a threat of you stopping your your actual labor stopping is what a strike is right so the threat is real because they geared up to it so for us strike should be real uh, in the state of Arizona, but you got to gear up for it. It doesn't happen overnight. So the only way for us to get the changes we need for workers is we have to do it you know, at every grade level, at every content meeting, at every site. Are you guys part of the union? Otherwise, we're not going to get this fixed. Let's go in with a solution and let's fix it. And more importantly, let's win for across the board. So key into some of the either TikToks or, or, um, or threads or whatever that bird app is now called um and watch some of the SAG-AFTRA folks talk about the importance of um of solidarity and telling your stories and being very explicit about your demands um and that comes from the fact they have a very strong union and a very strong
1: um sense of who they are and what they want we want to give a special shout out to Josh Adkins from Paradise Valley Education Association for composing our theme song and another shout out to Carrie Wolfe for producing each episode.
0: If you want more information on other learning lead opportunities and professional development made for educators and by educators, check out ArizonaEA.org professional excellence or reach out to your local president.
1: If you're not currently a member and want to be part of creating opportunity for all students through the power of public education, you can join the Arizona Education Association by going to ArizonaEA.org backslash join. And that's the bell.